This is your Astro Primer for the second week of April 2017. Okay guys, so where's the moon right now? The moon is beyond the first quarter. Right now, starting April 5th, it is past the first quarter, and now we are dealing with a waxing gibbous, which means goodbye, Milky Way. Goodbye for two more weeks. In my area here in Orem, the Milky Way will not be back until the 18th. Now, it's not entirely gone. It really depends on your location. Specifically here in Orem, on Friday morning, there's going to be six minutes between the moon setting and the astral dawn starting. And so I have a chance for six minutes to see the Milky Way core. The problem is, is that I can't really expect there to be too much darkness at that point. The moon has just set. Six minutes later, there's still a little bit of residual light. Luckily, it's on the other side of the sky. It's not going to be lighting up my scene. And so there's a chance, depending on your area, in the morning here in the United States. If you're over there on the eastern side of the world or even the southern hemisphere, you're dealing with a much different Milky Way that is also underneath the horizon where the galactic core is. So you can't see the galactic core for a while either. So we got a couple days right now. We have today, if you already went, enjoyed, well done. If you have the next day, you have a few minutes to a half an hour where you can actually see the core for a little bit before astronomical dawn, but then it is over. What we got to start thinking about is that full moon. The full moon is going to be here on April 10th and April 11th. And so we have plenty of awesome shots to take there. Start planning now. Where are you going to be? Where do you want to see that full moon? Where are you going to use a long lens and have that full moon be large behind some really cool architecture or some really cool landscape? And what are you going to do with the full moon? Start planning now. It's the first full moon of the spring or the first full moon of the autumn, depending if you're the northern or southern hemisphere. Sorry, southern hemisphere, it's time for us to have the warmth. When will we see the Milky Way again? Here in Utah, we're going to see it again on the 18th. And Utah, we're going to deal with a time where the Milky Way core has started to become visible on the horizon, low on the horizon at 1.15 a.m. And astronomical dawn isn't starting for many hours, but the problem is the moon, the waning gibbous moon is going to rise at 1.58 here in Utah. So depending on your location, double check your PhotoPills app or any app that you prefer to see when the moon will rise for you, because you're probably going to have an hour or more of Milky Way galactic core visibility there right on the horizon, more horizontal than it is at a 45 degree angle starting on the 18th and then it just gets sweeter from there so beginning the 18th 17th depending on your area start looking for the milky way core again because we're going to have waning gibbous until new moon and then a waxing gibbous until its first quarter and so you're gonna have lots of time to get back out there with your camera Australia, hey, you guys are going to deal with a core rise at 8.40 p.m. It's already astronomical dusk, but you're going to have a moon rise at 11, 11 p.m. So you got a, an hour and 20 minutes or so. So everyone's going to have a small fraction of time to enjoy the Milky Way in the full darkness, but I'd say take advantage of it as soon as you can. As for the rest of the sky, the things that we have to look forward to are the opposition of Jupiter, which means that we are now sitting between Jupiter and the sun. So when we look over at Jupiter, we're actually looking at a very full front sphere of Jupiter, completely in light. It's not off a little bit one way or the other way. We have full light hitting it. Imagine there's a light behind your head. Imagine a big old light behind your head, and in front of you is a basketball. The entire basketball is in full in full light, just like the full moon. The opposition of Jupiter means that right now is a nice, clear, very bright time to see those stripes. Look at it with a telescope. Check out the four moons. It's 
awesome. Just if you want to get out there and make sure you have really good seeing, so check the cleardarksky.com app if you're in the United States, Mexico, or Canada, and see if the seeing is any good, which means that the air is not moving so much and causes a lot of turbulence, which makes it hard to see. It'll look like it's rippling underwater if there's bad seeing. Seeing is recognizing how much turbulence is in the air, how much movement is in the air between us and Jupiter, and that causes a bad view. If the transparency is bad, but the seeing's good, you still can have a good shot of Jupiter. The water vapor in the air won't affect so much the light that's getting to you, the light that you're seeing in Jupiter because it's so bright. And that is the astral primer of the second week of April 2017. Do you ever find yourself shaking your fist at clouds? Do you secretly wish you could cause a county-wide power outage? Have you ever caught yourself yelling, stupid moon? Have you ever left your warm bed and stood outside in near-freezing temperatures at 2 in the morning and loved it? Have you ever answered the question, why aren't you getting enough sleep, with it's a new moon? If you have ever said, thought, or done any of these things, then this podcast is for you. I'm Aaron King, and welcome to the Astrophotog Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number one. Yeah, episode number one of the Astrophotog Podcast. I am going to be doing this every Thursday. And the good news is there's not going to be Brendan here. Okay, no, that's actually the bad news. Unfortunately, logistically, it's hard for us to get together two nights a week and record a podcast, and even the night that we record the regular podcast, the Photog Adventures podcast, it's a real challenge for us to record two in the same night, just because of the effort it takes to get the notes just right, get in there, record, and just taking breaks because we're exhausted. So having Brendan not here sucks, but it's awesome that I can do this podcast. I'm stoked to be able to add it to the podcast lineup, 25 cents. And it means that I get to talk about nerdy astrophotography stuff, and I love that. Now, I'll try to keep this podcast quick. The Astro Primer, we try and keep it, I try and keep it five minutes or less, and it'll always be at the beginning of the podcast. Now, I'm thinking some of you might only want to hear the Astro Primer just to hear real fast, is the moon going to be in the way? Is the Milky Way going to be awesome? What else is there in the sky that I should be looking for? I'm going to be giving you that quick information, and I'm hoping to keep it two to five minutes so that it is just quick information. And if you don't want to listen to the whole podcast because you're you're willing to wait until the following Monday to hear Aaron King talk again, I get it. So I'm going to put the Astro Primer right at the beginning. So hey, that information's in and out, and you can be out if you'd like to. Otherwise, you'll listen to the beginning opener where it questions whether you love astrophotography and whether you belong here, and then we'll get into it. You guys have probably already noticed the new content that Astrophotog is bringing, and I have a couple things that I've already created and one that I've released. I released a tutorial on how to process the Milky Way, one example of how I process my Milky Ways, and I have other things recorded like, will it be cloudy? I recorded a video where I talk about, hey, will it be cloudy? So before you go out to your location and you want to decide to do some Milky Way photography, will it be cloudy? Will it be cloudy that night? Should you drive an hour, two hours, 45 minutes to get out there to your location? And so I show you guys how I use cleardarksky.com and anyone who's in Europe or in Australia, you guys got to use something called Skippy Sky. So go to skippysky.com.au and you found a website that talks about the same stuff that Clear Dark Sky talks about, but not in the same way. I just don't like Skippy Sky nearly as much as I love Clear Dark Sky. There was a bonus section in that video of Will It Be Cloudy where I talk 
talked about dark site finder, how to find a good dark site, and I deal with a little bit of light pollution. So before you go to this location, check it out. Check out the light pollution there. And then, hey, is it going to be cloudy? Should I go there tonight? So I include all of that in the video. Then I did a Stellarium and Photopills video. The stuff that I have planned for Astrophotog include lenses reviews, tripods reviews, light painting tools, five reasons to use gaffer's tape, five ways to use light painting, five full frame cameras I recommend, five crop sensors I recommend, five methods to sharper focus, things like best astrophotography ebooks or the best night photography apps. I want to do things like 10 steps to find a good location, 10 steps to find a good image, 10 steps to make great light painting workout, how to use things like Google Maps and Earth to plan your trips and plan your locations. I even got a request from the last video to do something like that. They wanted to see how we plan locations, plan for a spot, and what I use to do that. My favorite sections of all of the stuff that's coming for Astrophotog are going to be the verses, and that's what I'm working on already. And if I had I just had a good Milky Way already, I could have finished this video and shown you already. But the verses, I'm going to do a verses of a Rokinon 24mm versus the Tamron at its 24mm. And I'm just going to do a comparison side by side. How did it handle? Whose coma was the worst? How did the quality go? How did the similar ISOs work? I'm going to be doing versus videos. They're going to show things that maybe you're deciding between getting a Tamron or sticking with a 24mm Rokinon. And you want to know really which one's better. I happen to have both, and so I'm doing verses. I'll be renting lenses and renting things to do verses with. I'm going to get a Sony a7R2 and do a comparison of that with my Canon 6D. I'm going to do things like checking out a Fuji crop sensor versus a Canon 70D crop sensor. Oh, I wanted to record this one already too, the pano versus a single image. Just show the resolution and clarity. Right now, I'm loading up to YouTube a video that is Royce Bear's presentation, and in there he shows some stacking and versus single, and you can see a complete difference in the row of Yuki section where it's really, really nice, colorful section over there by the Scorpius constellation where you see the Antares orange star and then the three stars above it. If you capture a sh shot of just that area or even just as you look at your Milky Way panel and you look in that section, you can see the color. When the stacked image happens versus a non-stacked image, clarity, the, the fine-tuned print, uh, the fine-tuned pin of the stars, oh, it's beautiful. It's just amazing. And so I want to show that comparison of a pano and a single shot. Even if I do a single shot that has this much in frame and then do a pano to get the same amount in frame. How much better does it look? Not just a giant wide pano versus a single shot. I want to show the exact same subject in both directions. Stacking pano versus not stacking in your pano. Stuff like that. I'm going to have a lot of fun with this content of Astrophotog. All this content is going to create what I'm going to call the how to start capturing awesome Milky Way images in one day. Now, this tutorial series will probably be something that if you've listened and read everything on it, will it take you one day? Okay, no, probably not. But when you go out there on your first Milky Way after reading through this, on your first day of doing it, first night of being out there, you're going to have success. That's what I realized when I was helping people down at Arizona, is that we just tell them a few pointers and then photographers take those few pointers and extrapolate on that and they do awesome and they can capture an awesome Milky Way image their very first time. It's not something that is hard for you to get to. If you're trying to get to that point, you're really not that far off from having that great image. There's just a few pointers of things like exposure and sharpness that if you get those right, you can make everything else work. 
So all of this content is a lot of fun. A lot of, I can't wait to show more of it. Like I said, I've already recorded the Will It Be Cloudy, recorded the Light Pollution and Dark Side Finder, recorded the Stellarium and Photo Pills. I just need time to edit. I mean, guys, it's one in the morning right now, and I'm sitting here loading a video to YouTube that I spent all night editing, all night the night before, and all night the night before that editing. Ah. <sighs> I mean, that's that's exactly what I wanted to talk about next. The format of this astrophotography podcast will be where I do the astro primer, I start the podcast, and then just like in Photog Adventures, I'm going to be doing stories, stories from recent trips, recent attempts, recent content creation, and then what worked and what went well and what I learned from those situations. Then I'll do an astro version of Gear Time and an astro version of Tip of the Week. And so that's the same kind of format. I'm going to be keeping an astro photog. And so right now is the story section of creating the content and the challenges of recording a tutorial. Oh, man, I have probably six... No, I would say more than six things right now sitting in the queue to work on. Not to mention the video of our Valley of Fire trip that I wanted to get out last weekend that ended up not getting to as all the other content I worked on, the podcast working with Brendan, and then getting out that awesome tutorial video and editing it. Man, it takes a lot of time. So a little back behind the scenes of recording that tutorial video. I started it on a Thursday night, and then I didn't finish it until the following week recording it, I think a Wednesday. So it took me almost a whole week to record it. In the meantime, I actually had gained, I actually grew enough hair on my face that I had to shave. I came back to record, I think on that Saturday, and was about to start when I realized, oh man, I'm scruffy. Of course I've got to shave. My last video, I accidentally, well, maybe for the better, I had just shaved that day. And so I was just baby-faced. And there would be a huge difference between baby-faced and scruffy. If I had a little scruff and then a little different level of scruff, you might not tell at all a few days later. But I made the mistake of shaving and being completely bald. But at least because I shaved it, I knew how to get back to that same look by quickly shaving. I didn't have to try and do a little scruff de-scruffing so it looked like the scruff of that scruff of that day and not look weird. I had things in the background that I had to move. If you pay attention to the astrophoto to the tutorial video, you're going to see a couple scenes where there's a cup in the background and they just kind of go it goes away. I didn't keep that cup in there for the rest of the scenes because I didn't have it in the beginning of the scenes and I had to move the cup out of the way. And recording a tutorial, you sit there and you stare at your camera and say, "Hey everybody, I'm Aaron King from Photog Adventures." Tonight on Astro Photo, we're going to talk about blah, 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 blah. And you try and keep it to five seconds, eight seconds, so that it's that quick blurb before you show the title or the, the you know, the animated, hey, this is Photog Adventures, or hey, this is Astro Photog, boom, 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 boom. And then it goes into the rest of the video where you talk, hey, okay, here's the details. I'm going to be going through Lightroom, Photoshop, and doing Color Effects Pro, editing a picture that Andrew Block had, blah, 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 blah. I probably spent 30 minutes of footage about 45 to 50 minutes of audio recording because sometimes I'll leave this audio on the Tascam recording between shots just to record me say, hey everybody, it's Aaron King from Photog Adventures. Tonight on Astro Photog, I'm going to help you edit your Milky Way. I made so many silly little edits and silly little mistakes and weird sounds or I had a weird, weird goofy smile on my face or I was looking at something else or I looked over at the task cam to see if it was running or not. You know, I made mistakes like that all throughout, half an hour in. So that Thursday night that I announced, I'm, in reco I'm recording the tutorial. I never got to the actual tutorial. I never began it. I was only working on the intro and the outro. 
<laughs> and I also recorded the outro before I ever edited the whole video. And so when I come to the end there and I get the outro, it ended up working very nice. It felt natural. It felt like, obviously, this is the guy who just finished editing this, this, this tutorial, but it wasn't. It was a guy who hadn't yet, and it still sounded right, still worked out. I was glad about that. Also, I have marks on my tripod now, my Faisal, where I put little black permanent marker marks right where the settings were. I had it set not on full extension of every section of my tripod legs, and so I didn't know if I'd be able to get the exact same location or look if I had a different height. It might be off a little bit, and that would look weird, especially since it took me several days to record, and I took my camera and tripod other places to go capture the Milky Way in the meantime. I had to come back and be consistent. And so now my tripod has these marks, these marks at all the leg points where I know to pull them out to. It works awesome because now I can keep it really consistent for all of the videos. So that's great. A lot of cool feedback, but then there was one feedback that is totally true. All throughout the video I was saying subtle, subtlety, subtlety, subtle, be subtle, be subtle. And then I went and overcooked it in the very last step. And he's right. Oh man, once I put on the Pro Contrast filter, it looked really good. And when I started using the bicolor filters, I wasn't really happy with any of them. Before with, with back in Phoenix, when we did this with Andrew, it was obviously good. We, with, between myself, Rusty, and Brendan, and Andrew, we all liked the look of the bicolor filter. When I was sitting here alone on this computer and not his MacBook maybe, because a different color color on the screen, all of that, maybe that made a difference. And even looking at Andrew's picture now on my screen here, it looks better than the bicolor filter I applied. Mine was a little bit more of a teal than a dark blue, and I, I couldn't seem to find that filter. I don't know if there was a difference in the Color Effects Pro. I mean, Google's not updating them, so I doubt that's the Nick collection change. At any rate, it was different, and it did seem overcooked. I mean, you went from looking pretty natural and really nice to all of a sudden I'm introducing color. Now, the point of the tutorial was to end it with a little bit of polish where you add some color. Adding, I was specific about that I'm adding color. When you're doing your Milky Way processing, you can actually keep your colors natural. And if you go through a process that's a lot more work, in my opinion, but worth it, you follow Roger Clark. Roger Clark has a website, clarkvision.com, with a bunch of articles. Go to his one about, you can even start right here, clarkvision.com forward slash articles forward slash color dot of dot the dot night dot sky. Miserable probably trying to follow that off of the podcast. I'll put it in the show notes. But Roger Clark has done a lot of it, made, has taken a lot of time through a lot of effort to teach how to keep it natural. I mean, he's really against the color blue in the sky, which me, I love the color blue in the night sky. And no matter how natural it is, I'm going to introduce that color into my shot as long as I can keep it subtle. Yes, the feedback came back that I wasn't subtle and he was totally right. But I agreed with everyone else's feedback that, you know, we all change things a little bit here and a little bit there. And adding the Color Effects Pro filter to your Milky Way is not a bad idea. Do it when it works. Try and keep it to your vision of how awesome the Milky Way looked for you that morning. Sometimes it's more orange. Sometimes it's more blue. It's your call. Do not feel pressure. So it's just all that work and all the stuff behind the scenes of creating that tutorial. And then the feedback came in great. Thanks, everyone, for enjoying it and watching it. I was amazed that this video 
video had actually passed gear time from the previous week. So from Friday until that Friday, a whole week had passed where the gear time video about the 7300 millimeter lens had been out on YouTube live, had accumulated about 350 something views. In the first weekend, that tutorial video was passing 350 views. And so, man, tutorial videos are where you guys are wanting it. And random people are finding us for the first time ever through the tutorial video. So more of that content is coming. Speaking of more of that content, I tried to get a I had tried to get a comet lesson in. I mentioned the last astral primer that you guys haven't even heard because I couldn't release the podcast in time and I'm recording a new one for this podcast. I'm starting off episode 1 in a new version. This astral primer was talking about comet 41P and I mentioned in the Facebook listener group it was a comet that's very distant. It was only going to be a green blob in the sky. It wasn't going to be like a trailing comet, amazing moment photography opportunity. But you can capture it. And so I wanted to let everyone know that it was out there. I tried myself, and I thought, okay, here's an opportunity. I'm going to record. And we're talking it's 2 a.m. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go out and see it. It's April 3rd. It's the last night. It will probably be visible. Let me go see if I can capture it. Of course, when you decide to include everything, you got to set up the lights, you got to put the camera back out, get there at the desk, and you look at the camera and say, hey, everybody, I'm Aaron King, and take 10 tries on that. This time, I was practiced. I had done it so many times now. It only took two attempts to get that right, two times, and I think it was perfect. It was working out. So I introduced the comet and the, what the comet was, where it was. I showed in Stellarium where to find it, and then I showed how I attached my Canon 6D to my telescope, my Celestron Nexstar 6SE, and I I had the little T adapter that connects to an actual mount, and I got the the Canon EF mount connector, and then that connects to my camera, blah, 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 and I attached the camera to the, to the telescope in a couple minutes, and there you go. I was off. And I spent from 2 o'clock till 3 in the morning when my wife startled me because she had checked on our son who was still awake, or he had woken up, and so she came out and wondered, what are you doing out here at 3 a.m.? I'm recording the comet, and I haven't found it yet. So I had just barely gotten a battery to charge my iPad. Since it was at 6% charge, I was out there needing it, and it was below 10%. So I had to get out the goal zero, bring it outside, plug in the iPad so I was running. I had the cameras and the GoPro going, and I had my camera attached, and I'm sitting there at the point in the sky where the comet is, and I couldn't see it. So I'd go up. No, go up. No. Go over, no, go down, no. So I started doing grids where I'd go up, 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 over, and then down, 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 down. And just kept taking picture after picture after picture. After a while, I hadn't seen anything, so I tried orienting myself again. Go back to those stars from the Draco constellation, K draw, six, seven draw. Where are these stars? Okay, I found them. I have them in the viewfinder. I could even see them on the LCD screen live. So I knew I was there. They were the brightest stars in the sky in that area. Still, I could not navigate there. In fact, I went the wrong direction half of the night. I was going down below them, and I double-checked Stellarium on my iPad. Okay, where is this? Oh my gosh, it's above. It's above those three stars. So when you're out there doing ash photography, trying to capture a very small thing in the sky, you're having to navigate from constellations over to the right spot. Your, your telescope is going to have... A reverse view. When you attach your camera to it, it actually shows it the correct way. It won't flip it like you flip it in the eye in the eyepiece. So you are going to be disoriented sometimes where you're hitting the button to go left and it goes right. Once you hook your camera up, you go left, it actually goes left. And so I got in my head that it was down instead of up. And that was completely wrong. 
I was spending 30 minutes looking in the wrong area, gridding it. And then I figured, okay, up here. I got a grid up here. I could not find it for the life of me. Moon was up until about 2.30, 3 o'clock. The sky was a little light polluted. And I think there was moisture in the sky carrying all the light pollution. I only tried from my backyard. I didn't go anywhere to a dark sky site. I probably could have seen it in a dark, dark, dark sky site. But as faded as it was, I saw the Catalina Comet from my backyard. So if I couldn't see this one, it was going to be a crazy faded low magnitude comet. And it just wasn't going to be a fantastic shot. So... I had an attempt at a how to find a comet lesson as well as using your camera attached to your Nexstar 6SE. I'm going to have to do that lesson again, but the content's coming. I'm loving it. Astrophotog is such an opportunity for me to put these things out there. I just hope that you guys enjoy the content, the very focused niche content of astrophotography only. So now at this point, I would do a what worked and what learned, or if I should have already started by this point, but I'm not going to this time. I'm going to save that for the next week. We're going to meet up with Travis and Daniel, who went out with me on these Milky Ways to the Knolls, to the Silo, to the Trestle, to Silver Lake, all of those attempts of the Milky Way that we tried to get a nice shot those mornings, those guys were with me. So I'm inviting them to join me for the podcast. The Astrophotog podcast for next week will be me and them and most likely Brendan along with us. And we're going to talk about those trips specifically and talk about finding the Milky Way and the challenge of planning and looking at the sky and making sure it's good and then having something go wrong. It was disappointing. So Astro Gear Time right now, I've been talking about it. The Celestron Nexstar 6SE is the telescope I have. If you're interested in getting a telescope where you can attach your camera, the minimum aperture you really should go with is a 6-inch. Six 6-inch six is a large enough light bucket, as I like to call it, where you can get deep sky objects really well. Now, really well means slightly better than the 5SE that I used to have. But both are really portable. The best thing about these Celestron Nexstars is that you can unhook the optical tube from the mount that's already attached to the tripod legs. So you have the mount and the legs all in one piece. Then you have the optical tube. Loosen the legs, collapse them in, and they fit easily in the back seat. You pull them back there in your car. And then <laughs> this is what I do. I take the optical tube and I put it in the passenger seat next to me. And then I even put the seatbelt on it so that it doesn't roll around while I'm driving around. And I felt silly. It felt like I was putting, I felt like a six-year-old who's driving somewhere and he put his teddy bear in the seat next to him and put the seatbelt on him. I even would pat my little optical tube a couple times like, hey, there you go. You're nice and buckled in now. And so I keep him on the passenger seat right there ready to go. The thing you hold like a football and then carry your tripod legs out there and put it all together on location. It's very, very awesome for that. Is it awesome for hiking with? No, those tripod legs are, oh, they're heavy. The, the mount itself is beefy and powerful to hold the optical tube well, and because it has the go-to motors in it. It has motors in there that's going to keep up with an equatorial or azimuth connection or azimuth orientation with the earth, and so you're going to be able to set it up to follow and track. Now, it tracks with the stars at night as well as, you know, hey, I want to go to Jupiter. There's Jupiter. I want to go see what the Lagoon Nebula looks like. And it rotates and sets up for you. Now, the go-tos on these are very accurate and also not. Based on how you orient it and synchronize it in the beginning, it's going to be accurate. Now, the best part about it is even if it's inaccurate, it's accurate. Why I say that is because it's going to go to the section of the sky that Bodhi's Nebula is. 
it might be off by a little bit. And so once you have it set up and you all get all, it's all responding and you go to big things like Polaris or you go over to Jupiter or Saturn and you know that, okay, when I get there and it stops and then I can see Saturn is on the left, I need to go over to the left. And there's Saturn. Now I know where in this orient, in this synchronized orientation setup for this time, it is off to the right a little bit too much right and down, up, over. You know, if it has sometimes two over, uh, it's over and down. It just has a little bit off in diff every range. Once you figure out what that range is, like the moon, you just say go to the moon. Don't have the moon up if you're looking for deep sky objects, though. It'll ruin it just like the Milky Way. So you go and you make sure you see how it's off. And then you go to Bodhi's Nebula, a place, a thing you maybe have never seen in your life. It's not even a nebula, it's a galaxy. You tell it to go to that location. It whirs around it tilts up or tilts down and all of a sudden stops. And you look in the view, you look in the eyepiece, nothing. But you remembered that it's off a little to the right and down. So you go up and go over to the left. Ooh, what is that? And what you will see in these little eyepieces is something that is just a black and white image to you. You think you're seeing a little faint green or a little bit of color, and you probably are, but the way the rods and cones go in our eyes, they just don't handle color in a very low, dim, low contrast setting. It only sees color when it's bright enough. And so while there is a ton of color of these things that you're looking at, you're not going to pick it up unless it's the brightest areas. Like the Orion Nebula is crazy bright. If you go to the Dumbbell Nebula, you will see a little green. You actually will see the green in there. And so there's really cool stuff out there that you will have no idea where they are. The go-to feature on these are awesome because they just have a huge list of things and they update. They know your location and your, your, your latitude and longitude and says, okay, right now none of these objects are above the horizon. So they don't even bother you with those items. Everything that you see on the list are items that are visible that you could see right now. Now, if you have mountains, trees, all that stuff, that ends up being in your way. And I always hate it when my thing turns around and goes to the horizon because I'm like, oh, yep, I'm out. I'm not going to see anything, whether I'm in the backyard and I have houses in the way or just I'm in a valley. I have mountains every direction around me. And so I don't see anything unless it's up at least 40 degrees. And I'm like, okay, yeah, there we go. Now I can find things. So Celestron Nexstar 6SE is an awesome beginner telescope. So you'll find these things used around your area probably for a very awesome price. Get it used. They're fantastic. Unless someone's destroyed the go-to on the mount or has some in some way ruined the optical tube or has the mirror off balance or messed with it or made it dirty, it's going to be a fantastic telescope. I recommend you guys get it. So tip of the week this week, this is something that, this is a feature in photo pills that I knew about but didn't realize. I didn't recognize it. In fact, I only recognized it tonight. So if you have your photo pills app, go ahead and go over to it. If you're actually sitting down when you're listening to the podcast, next time you are able to go to your photo pills app and you'll see in the very beginning when you load it up, you got my stuff pills Academy. When you go to pills, you see the um, 14 options that are in here, two rows. And the third option in on the top row is the moon. So go to the moon section. Yeah, you can go to planner and see this information about the moon. What's its uh, rise and set time, whether it's going to be a waning or waxing gibbous or a first quarter or a last quarter, all that, yeah, all, all that information is actually there. But on this moon thing, the thing that I found tonight that I got to recommend is in this moon feature, when you use the arrows in the top to change the dates, 
I didn't know until I changed the dates that everything on the left was updating. Now, obviously it's updating, but I didn't realize how cool of a feature it was. So right now, since it's 1.35 in the morning, I see Thursday, April 6th, and it shows right here on the left this timeline at 12 a.m., then it goes in, hey, at 2.01 a.m., the Galactic Center the galactic center visibility starts. So it's saying, hey, the core of the Milky Way is rising at this point at 2.01 a.m. And it actually puts it before the next stage, which is the moon set. And so it's like, ah, oh, crap. The moon hasn't even set, but that galactic center is visible. This tells me easily that, hey, it's rising when the moon's still up. But then the moon sets, and hey, look, the galactic center is still visible until 5.28 a.m. So if I were to not go to bed right now and I wanted to stay up until, you know, 4.43 when the moon sets, I have until 5.28 a.m. this morning of Thursday, April 6th, to actually see the galactic center. And with at least 45 minutes, roughly, that means the moon will have set and the light in the sky will be gone entirely. And I'll have at least a half an hour of time before astronomical dawn is going to ruin that visibility. That's why the visibility ends at 5.28 a.m. It doesn't say it specifically, but it just means that the astronomical twilight has begun. And that's why the visibilities end. And I tap myself, I tap over, tap over. Oh, bummer. Look at that. Saturday, April 8th. The galactic center rises at 1.54 a.m. and the visibility starts. But it also says the next thing that happens on the timeline is at 5.24 a.m. the galactic center visibility ends. And then what's next? The moon set. Starting April 8th in my area, the moon's still going to be up until the astronomical twilight begins. Really, April 7th is the last morning I have any time. Now look at this. I have six minutes. The moon sets at 5.20 a.m. Astronomical twilight begins at 526 here in Orm. If I go a little bit more east, I'll have a few more minutes on that clock. So I'm looking at 6 to 10 minutes of time. I could take advantage of that. If it's close enough to home, I might do that. But, man, I would not drive two hours or more to get six minutes of Milky Way shot unless I was totally desperate because that's tiny window and you hope there's no clouds so then it says right on here using that moon feature it tells you not just what the moon feature what the moon phase is at and where it's at in the sky and the angular diameter which i never care about it tells me hey the galactic center visibility starts and ends at this time where's the moon the closer I get to new moon and the larger my window is. Look at this, April 23rd, it's a waning crescent, still 13% illuminated, but since it doesn't rise until 5.12 a.m., I have visibility of the galactic center from 1 a.m. till 4.56 a.m., so really it's five hours long of Milky Way. So where do I want to be for those times? Where am I going to go to make sure I can see the Milky Way? So PhotoPills app, so many beautiful ways to use it. The moon pills, go to pills and go to the moon. That is one quick way to see, hey, when's my next opportunity for Milky Way and Moon where they cooperate and I have visibility of the galactic core. So thank you guys for listening to the first Astrophotog podcast. I am Aaron King, and I will have guests and possibly Brendan sometimes on this podcast. It won't just be me yammering on about my geeking love of astrophotography, but for the most part, it will be. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Photog Adventures on Monday. Bye, guys.